saw a meme one time. It was, you know, Jesus standing. It's not going to be a joke. Why does everything have to be funny? It's probably going to be a joke. Okay. Um, so Jesus is standing on outside the door, you know, knock, knock, let me in type of thing. And so he's knocking. There's no handle there. And the words say from Christ, open the door. And then from inside, you see a little bubble that says, why? And Jesus says to him, so I can save you. And that person inside says, save me from what? And Jesus responds, from what I'll do to you if you don't let me in. <laughs> and I, I saw that, I'm like, I guarantee that was made by an atheist. It had to be, right? Because like that's, that's the way that the world perceives the invitation of Christ, of his salvation, his presence, that God tries to impose himself on us. And if we reject him, then he punishes us. Right, like an abusive relationship. The problem with that is that we were made for Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ does not get into our hearts, which only we can do because we're free, then we remain locked and alone in there. And that can become an eternal sentence. So God does everything he can in life to get into our hearts by our own free will and acceptance of that. But Jesus never asks of us anything except what he himself wants to give. He asks us to open the door so that he can give us his presence. He asked the Samaritan woman to give him a drink of water at the well, but it was so that in the end, he could offer her the water of the Holy Spirit. He asked his disciples to be with him in the garden of Gethsemane to comfort him. But in the end, he said, so that I can comfort you in your tribulations and you will not fall to temptation. And so when he asked Thomas to put his hand into his side, it was so that much more than Thomas touching Christ, Christ could touch his unbelief and heal it. So Jesus only asks of us what he wants to give back to us on a much higher level. You know, when you think about the worst, the worst time you ever want to go to a doctor is when you're actually hurt. Because then you have to address the pain. It's, or you, the worst time to go to a dentist when you actually have a cavity, because then you know it's going to get touched. So, so wherever we're wounded is where we're most guarded in our life. So when we celebrate today Divine Mercy Sunday, um, it's important to think about what that means. Mercy, the, the word in Latin is misericordia. And the etymology of that word is misery, core, and dia, dar, giving. So it literally means God giving one's heart to what is miserable. God's mercy is him offering his heart, his love, his presence, in the places that were broken, where we need him most. That's why Jesus is the divine physician. But the, the, the trick is he can only heal what he comes into contact with. If we do not let him come into contact with what is wounded within us, we remain alone there. That's why Christ says, I did not come to save uh, the doctor does not come to save the healthy, but the sick, the lost. And that was his main argument against the Pharisees. They didn't need his help. They didn't need his touch. Not because they didn't need it, but because they put everything on a facade. 
And so because they live that relationship with God of just, if I do all the commandments right and all my externals right and check the boxes, I'm okay. But Christ is always looking at the heart. He's always looking at what is broken within us. That's the place he wants to find us. Until we find him there, he can't save us. But that's on us to see if we will allow him to come into contact with those places that are wounded within us. This is all really romantic, right? Beautiful. I thought so. I thought it would be a great talk for all you poor laity out there that you needed to hear this. So I was very happy with myself when I wrote this, uh, at least this first part of the um, homily when I was in Minnesota this past week. And I did that in the morning right after my prayer. And then I was ready for my workout to go on a jog along the river um, outside the seminary. It's a very beautiful area. And anybody who knows anything about my workout is like, exercise to me is very sacred, set apart. Right? It's, how do I describe it? So working out to me is, in the words of Chris Rock, the place of selective aggression. All right, so I take all the problems that I have at the Frasati house with their shenanigans and Marcus's dirty cups and Ryan Bean and the drama at the center, the drama within my own heart, and everything that's going on, and I selectively channel that aggression in the gym. It's the place of freedom, right? And that's actually really embarrassing, because just yesterday, I was at the gym with a couple of the guys here, and at one point, I was working out, and this guy looked at me, and he goes, dude, did I take your weight or something? I'm like, He's like, am I on your way? I'm like, I didn't even see that you were there. He goes, yeah, you look like you wanted to rip my head off. And I was like, ah, oh. sorry, man, I was just in the zone. Um, I was like, yeah, what's your name? Where are you from? He's like, oh, my name's Redfeather. I'm from Lapway. I'm like, oh, I worked at Lapway for a few years. He's like, what'd you do? I'm a Catholic priest. He said, he just could not comprehend it. Like, Catholic priest who practices selective aggression in the gym. So it's all about timing. But because of that, I don't like sentimental music when I'm working out. Because sentimental music makes you feel your pain and your heart, right? So I like things that take me out, like rock and rap and Korean hip-hop, something like that. Not the Korean hip-hop, forget that. But the last thing I want is to listen to something that's going to make me feel my pain, right? Because anger is always pain turned outward. You don't want to feel your feelings when you're going through workouts. But as I went on this jog... I had all these ideas from this homily in my mind, and immediately I thought about a song that I'd recently heard again uh, called Sedona by Houndmouth. Thank you very much, Jack. It's uh, one of my favorite, well, it's a beautiful song, but I hate the song. And I hate the song because it was in the background years ago when something bad happened in my life. So I haven't listened to that song ever since because if I listen to that song, it's gonna bring up all the old memories and all the old feelings that I felt in that time. So I've been very careful not to go around it. You know, it's like the Pavlov effect. You guys know Pavlov? You know that science guy, every time his dog would ring a bell, he'd go eat? Something like that, right? <laughs> uh, he'd ring a bell and then the dog would salivate because he knew it was getting the food. So what they say about human beings is, like some of the strongest sensories that we have is our ears and our nose, that if we hear something or smell a scent that was even from 15, 20 years past, our brain will reproduce the very emotions that we had 
in that moment, when we went through that, whatever we were going through, when we heard that um, sound or smelt that scent. So I was going on this jog, and just like a little argument began to arise between Jesus and I, because I kept hearing him say, play the song, play the song. I don't know, no, I don't want to play the song. Then I tried to play stupid, like, oh, you knew my... Uh, Kanye West, Black Skinhead, I think I got that. Yeah, we'll play that song. And I, no, play the song. And it was just for like 15 minutes, I was going back and forth. And finally, I, I stopped and I went and I found Sedona on Spotify and I started to play it. And then when I first pushed play, it was almost like, have you ever had the chance, like where you, you get in the water with a shirt on, you take your shirt off, you get hot, and then you have to put that like cold wet shirt back on when you're already cold. That's what it felt like listening to this song again. It was just pure negative raw emotion like coming over me. My first thought was I better start running really fast. So if I start tearing up, they're gonna think it's sweat and I'm not crying. And so I just started running and running, but I kept the song on repeat. So I just kept running for probably half an hour listening to the song and just feeling all of the negative emotions that came with the memory of when I, when I heard the song years ago. And as I was doing that, the only way I could keep going was to talk to Jesus, like to be in deep prayer with him in the midst of this moment. And all my brain could think about was what I experienced in that time. But now Jesus was there in dialogue at that moment. And an image that came to my head while I was doing this was all of a sudden it was... Jesus was almost in the the place of Thomas where he was unwrapping my own heart. So it's like, it's almost like there's a wound that was still there. Just I put a bandage over it so I didn't have to think about it. And then he started putting his hand into my heart. And at the same time, speaking to me about that event. And what I realized is what went along with that wound was a lie a lie about my life, a lie about myself that I was living out of maybe even subconsciously. But that's how, that's how wounds work. That's how evil spirits work. Right? So a wound, we're all wounded in the world. We're all wounded in life. That's just what it means to exist. But the real danger is the lies that are associated with the wounds. And that's where the evil spirits work. They're like infections that get into a wound and spread through the whole body. You think about the movie Lion King, right? So Simba, his father dies, but Scar, he speaks a lie into that event. It was your fault. You killed your father. And that lie infected his entire being and made him run away and live out of that. So this is often the case with those, if someone's ever physically, sexually abused, that's a wound there. But what can go along with that wound is a lie that it was my fault or I'm unworthy or a lie of shame and disgrace that causes the person to close away. Well, there's a lie associated with this painful memory that I was believing. And I heard Christ talking to me in the midst of that during this song. And I listened to that song, like I said, for like 30 minutes straight. And now, just a week later, 
I've listened to that song every day just to like revisit it. What's so fascinating to me is that the, the memories are still there of what happened of old. But it's no longer just that. Because I can't listen to that song without also seeing the face of Christ and hearing his words in that very place. The death and resurrection now go hand in hand. And that's what Christ was showing his disciples. Yes, I suffered. Yes, you ran. Yes, I died. And my wounds are still with me. But now I am risen. Death and resurrection in the same place. And the wounds that we receive in life that cause us, like the apostles, to hide away in fear in dark places, those are the places that Christ wants to encounter us with his own voice, with his own presence, with his own wounds, to draw them into the resurrection. It's exposure therapy. They say the more you expose yourself to whatever scares you or hurts you, you become stronger. But the more we live out of fear, we just find more and more reasons to hide away in the darkness, away from others, away from the world. And there can never be joy there. So the true sign that we are experiencing the resurrected Christ in our life is that we are having that same joyful response of the apostles because in their darkest place in their life, they saw the face of Christ. They experienced his wounds and his resurrection. And they were resurrected with him. So this Divine Mercy Sunday, I really encourage all of us, think about your life Think about a place of wounding, a place of fear that causes you to want to hide away from God, others, or yourself. And we have every, every time we come to church, we have three places we can always experience that touch of Christ, that mercy of God. First and foremost, from this very altar in his body, blood, soul, and divinity when we receive in him Holy Communion. That's the apex. But when we go to confession and we share our wounds with him, our sins. But most, most of all, and I think this is the culmination of those two sacraments, is meditation and contemplation. Where I'm truly discursing with God about my life. And it's a great time to do that on that three o'clock holy hour today. We just pray about this. Where do you need to experience the hand of God in your life? And to the degree that you do, we can all experience the resurrected Christ right there in the place of our suffering and thereby cry out with St. Thomas, my Lord and my God.